0: Well, good morning church. How we doing? I'm Scott Weatherford. Every time I hear that music, I think the preaching ought to be equal to the music, but well, you get what you get. How are you guys this morning? You doing well? I love that song. I'm going to the rock. I, 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 you know, we have Episcopalians, which is awesome. Uh, you know, when you go to heaven, the denomination labels fall off. Did you know that? And if you don't make it, they burn off. All right, you got that? So we're all one family together, and that was great. Thank you, Dan, for bringing them in, and thank you for being a part. Tara and I have just returned from Canada. We were up in, uh, up in Saskatchewan. Uh, if you have, as Americans, you have no idea where that is. We uh, went to North Dakota and went north from there. We actually flew into Minot, North Dakota, and drove up across the border and into Canada. And, and someone, oh, I bet it was cool up there. Well, it wasn't that cool. Uh, It was about 85, wind was blowing, so it was better than 104, right? But we're really glad to be back with you. Now, while we were there, we were navigating our way through Saskatchewan, which you probably don't know much about Saskatchewan, but it's vast nothingness. Prairie. You could watch your dog run away for three days. It is just (laughs) prairie. And uh, my friend, Travis Hyde, he married Amy uh, on Friday. He, Travis farms 25,000 acres of land. That's how, many, how much land he farms. And he grows organic wheat and barley and um, canola. Canola, this little canola you have is a beautiful yellow flower that produces a seed that they, they press to get the canola. It's a, and the fields are just yellow for miles, little, literally for miles. And uh, he grows organic hemp as well. He does all of this. And uh, Travis, dear friend of ours, Travis went to a season of life of just absolute brokenness. And during that season, he actually lived with Tara and I. And uh, he was living with us. and, And I kept telling him, Travis, you're a farmer. Go back and do what you did before. Go back and farm. So by faith, he went back. He gathered what was the worst land at the cheapest price. And God's hand's been on Travis, and he's blessed that. And Travis is also engaged in bringing clean water to parts of Africa as a philanthropic uh, endeavor with, along with his farming. So, uh, And I have a plan for Travis in Africa, and that's probably going to include y'all, so get ready. Anybody drive a tractor around here? Okay, that's good. I see some hands. That's good. Yeah, I see. Okay, good. Yeah, I see some wives volunteering tractor drivers. That's right. So we'll see y'all for King Jesus. Uh, but today we continue this, this series called The Pursuit. Deserts. When I even say the word, you think probably like I do of nothingness. Nothingness. Now I've been to some vast deserts. I've been to the deserts of the Southwest. I've been to some of the, the deserts uh, out in, in Asia as well where there's vast nothingness. In Africa where there's vast nothingness. And on the Arabian Peninsula where there's nothingness. In fact... Tara and I did a a dune buggy ride out of Dubai uh, and out in the desert where we had these huge dunes. And uh, I don't know if it was as much fun on the ride or listen to Tara scream on the ride, but both of those were uh, great adventures. Uh, While we were in Saskatchewan, actually Tara and I had almost a desert experience there. We were following our GPS and we uh, missed a turn. I missed a turn. She was talking to me. I was not paying attention, missed a turn, and we ended up driving 30 miles down a dirt road in Saskatchewan. Now, listen to me. Often the adventure begins when you have no idea where you're going. But God always knows where you're going. And while we are traversing this 30 miles of dirt road in the middle of nowhere, of course the tire low-pressure light comes on, you know, (laughs) as, as it were. Uh, the coyotes were putting on their, their napkins and sharpening their utensils. Uh, they were thinking there was an all-you-can-eat buffet with me on the road. We saw beautiful mule deer uh, traversing through the, con- the canola uh, fields, the, the yellow, the beautiful. Just a, Tara took a picture. looks like something out of National Geographic. But even in our lostness, God was never confused. A few years back, we were in Israel, and we were in the deserts, of Israel, and literally, there's a dry line at the top of the Mount of Olives. With the Mount of Olives is, is a lush place, and you go up to the Mount of Olives, and you get to reach the top of the line, top of the hill. There's a dry line that literally desert begins, and it's just rocks and and nothingness, and barrenness. And I said to our tour guide, I said, "How can one live in the desert?" And He said, "Oh, Pastor Scott, you don't understand. The Hebrew word for desert means where the flocks roam." There's life in the desert. There's life in the desert. And throughout history, the history of Christianity in particular, when people wanted to hear from God, they would go to the desert. It was called the Desert Fathers. They would go to hear from God. In the Hebrew language, again, in the root word for desert is the word to speak. That often in the barrenness of location, God speaks to us the loudest. C.S. Lewis, the great British theologian, said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. And when we go through the deserts of our lives, we can say this is a place of desolation or it's a place of opportunity, a place of listening, a place of being refined, a place of growth. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't like this subject because I don't like deserts. I prefer life to be easy. I like to be comfortable, to, to have plenty of what I need. I like opportunities where I'm encouraged and, and life is going well, where my kids are well-behaved and well-funded. That'd be nice. <laughs> where Tara doesn't have a list of things for me to do which would be apocalyptic, (laughs) where uh, nobody complained about the length of my sermons, which don't get your hopes up about that, okay? (laughs) And I think you're probably the same way. We like life easy. But life's hard. And it gets harder as you get older, doesn't it? I mean, your get up and go is got up and went. Uh, What you... What you have hurts, and if it doesn't hurt, you can't remember what it was for. <laughs> and it just gets more difficult, and the complications of life become more difficult. But thinking about the deserts of life and thinking about the opportunity to grow, grow, God gives us these experiences so that we can become fully His and fully dependent. Of course, the famous scriptural thoughts about the desert come from the Hebrew children. They were living in Egypt in slavery. But in their slavery, they were comfortable. You listen to their uh, lamentations in the desert, and they said, at least in Israel, we had cucumbers to eat. Now, personally, I think cucumbers are vile. If there's one thing left on the earth is cucumbers, I will starve to death. They are just wretched, filthy, nasty things. They're awesome as pickles, but any other one, they're just like, at least we had cucumbers, we had pots of meat, but you were a slave. But slavery and comfort. This morning in my time with the Lord, I was reading in Proverbs, it said, Better's a crust of bread with peace than a banquet with striving, with strife. And I get all that. And the Hebrew children were brought out from God into the desert, and they roamed there for 40 years. Years. Why? Because God was getting the Egyptian out of them. For 400 years, they've become enculturated in the culture of Egypt. They talked like Egyptians, thought like Egyptians, and even walked like Egyptians. <laughs> Can you work that into the next service songs, Walk like an Egyptian? But God wanted them to be fully his and fully devoted to him. So he took them to the desert, a place where he would speak. And in the desert, they found where the flocks roam. Now, let me just frame this for you. Desert is a place of desolation. Desert is a place of desperation. Desert is a place of no resources. But God fed them every meal they ate. He hydrated them with every drink they drank. He clothed them in such a fashion that for 40 years, their clothing did not wear out, their shoes did not wear out, they didn't even get blisters on their feet. Because God was teaching them to be fully His. Some of you are in a desert. You're hurting. You're hurting. And you're wondering where God is and what is he up to and what's going on and you don't seem to hear from him and you're, maybe some of you even turned your back on him in this time of the desert. I want to say this to you. I want you to hold on to this. You may turn your back on God, but he will never turn his back on you. And when you turn your back on him, he will round about and get in front of you again. And you can run from God, but he's so big you can't outrun him and he's so big that you will run into him. And he has loved you with an everlasting love. So today, we're going to talk about King David. Life in the desert. Life on the run. I titled this talk, Hold Up and Hiding. Literally, in a hole, hiding for your life. King David rose to fame in, in Israel Saul had killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. He had been anointed king. Saul grew jealous of him. Saul decided he would murder him. And Saul began to pursue David. David literally, David literally could have stood his ground and stood in his place because you will not die until God is done with you. But David being a man like us, he he ran and he hid. But God in the running and hiding was developing David's character to become king. And he sent him to the desert to learn dependence. He sent him to to the desert to develop his character. And that's exactly what God is doing for you today. Now, I want us to focus on a psalm of King David, Psalm 40. And listen to the psalm and see that you find life in the desert. Are you guys ready for this? That's four of you. That's great. You guys ready for this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me. And, Father, in this prayer of David that is uh, uh, somewhat just bipolar, up and down, that we can learn that you love the desert and you love to speak to us again. And I pray that you will speak to us today. And the words that I have to say not be mine or my thoughts, my words are nonsense and noise, your words are life and peace. And I pray, Father, that you'll custom customize this talk for those that are here today, someone is here today that needs to hear from you, and they need to hear loudly from you. And I pray that you speak. And we pray this all in King Jesus' his strong name. Amen. Go ahead and take out your, your Take the Weekend With You notes. Just reach in there bulletin. there. There's scriptures that go along with this passage. Also, let me remind you that we have resources available for you online. The Pursuit uh, small group series is available, our life group series. You can use it in your Sunday school class. You can use it in your your group life where you meet at homes or with men or women. Or you want to use it for you personally. Those resources are available for you. We will continue to provide resources for your group life every sermon series. Every sermon series. In fact, we're getting ready to film uh, this fall's. Uh, it's called first life and we'll spend seven weeks looking at the life god has intended for you And we're about to do that small group uh, video as well that that group video for your sunday school class if You choose to use that or your group uh, any group you meet in because god wants you in a group Whether it's on sunday morning on campus whether it's off campus, whatever it's groups so you can connect to become like jesus Does that make sense? That's two of you guys are slow this morning. Okay, or either I'm not communicating very well. But we provide those resources for you. Why? Because we love you. Also, you got 99 days of prayer. Tonight is a prayer gathering, a prayer and worship gathering. Now, some of you old school Baptists going, I ain't going to no prayer meeting. You know, I've been to prayer meetings and I'd rather be shot than go to a prayer meeting because we're going to pray about Sister whatever's liver, and that's all we're going to do. And we're going to go home, and somebody's going to get up and drawn on and on and on in this long-winded prayer, right? Am I the only heathen in the room? Is the other heathens with me? But tonight is going to be a worship experience, a prayer-focused worship experience. You don't want to miss this. At 5 o'clock tonight, you come. We will pray together. We will celebrate together. Let me now give you a little more information about the prayer wall. Outside is a prayer wall because of these 99 days we want to ask God to do great things in, for, and through us. And I want you to write your request so we can see what God is doing. Now, we started to construct the western wall of the temple outside. But that was going to cost too much money. So you got pallets, okay? So you get what you get. Uh, in Texas, you get pallets. In Israel, you get stone. But, we, well, we got a lot of rocks around here, too. But um, that's out there. I encourage you to use that. I know I'm going to go write some requests On the wall, you could uh, make it anonymous if you want to. Uh, If you write things like, God, I wish we had a better preacher. (laughs) I know that my wife might write that, but nobody else, please, okay? But we could write those requests and we could could celebrate at the end of 99 days what God has done. Does that sound exciting? And we have a resource available. It's available in, in copy. You can pick that up today. It's also available online. If you'd rather do it electronically, You could do it online as well. So let's jump into this. Psalm 40. Turn with me your Bibles there, and we're going to begin at verse 1. God, here's the first thought I want you to hold on to. God is the deliverer. God is the deliverer. One of the great names of God is the God who delivers, the God who provides, the God who comes through. If God had a business card, he would have on the bottom of it, I am God, and I come through. Now, some of you might debate that with me. You say, well, I don't believe God come through because I had this situation and God didn't come through and I had this disaster. Well, some of our situations we go through are not God's doings. They're our doings. But in the middle of our doings, God is working them together for good. He is so much God, he can take your stupid and make it good. Now, let that soak into the soul of your theology just for a second that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purposes. Now, even when I say that, you have to quote 29 with that, for God chose those he loved in advance so they could become like Christ. So God's desire is that you become like Jesus. Let me read for you in Psalm 40, verse 1. "I, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, And he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a song of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be astounded. And they will put their trust in the Lord. In other words, God is leveraging your adversity to bring glory to himself so others may see and follow. God doesn't waste anything. You see, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard my cry. God is the God who sees your suffering. You remember the story of Abraham. God promised Abraham he'd be the father of a great nation. And he was in his 70s when God made that promise to him. 25 years later, his wife gets pregnant and she has a baby named Isaac. Now, before that happened, Abraham and Sarah decided God was not faithful. And so they decided to help God out with the promise. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed prayers of suggested outcomes that God could have for you in your particular situation? Have you suggested to God, now, God, I know you're, you're great and you're good, but if you'd work these things out these ways, that would be awesome. <laughs> and sometimes we spiritualize and say, well, I just laid out a fleece before God. Well, fleeces before God are great, but God's going to do what God wants to do the way God wants to do it. So Abraham and Sarah agree that, H- that Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian handmaiden, would make the great bearer of the promise. So Abraham has sex with her, then she becomes pregnant with Ishmael, and, uh, man, that just becomes a mess. Two women with one man is a mess in whatever culture you're in. And so bitterness and jealousy came up. The son of promise was born, and Ishmael and Isaac were there together, and there was competition, and Sarah comes, and I wish we could see the body language of the Bible because I know she had her hands on her hips when she said this to Abraham, "You need to get that woman and that little kid out of this place right now." And she might have had a frying pan in her hand as she gave that speech. Abraham, being the wise husband, he was he said, yes, dear. I don't know what the Hebrew word for that is, but he said, yes, dear." And he punted them out of the camp into the desert and to die. She goes from the solution to the sacrifice. And while in the desert, the Lord comes to her. And she said, He says, I've heard your cry. She was Egyptian. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a violation of the promise of God. But God loved her in spite of her circumstances. And he loved that boy in spite of his circumstances. And she called him el Roi, the God who sees. el Hroai, the God who sees. And God sees you. And he's not wringing his hands in heaven. Sometimes he's waiting on you. Waiting on you to come to a place of dependence, of surrender, but God sees you. As David wrote this, he was declaring the perfect timing of God. I waited patiently for you, and you heard my cry, and you lifted me out of the pit. Now, there's been often times in my life when I've cried out to God, and I felt like he was just about a day late, a dollar short, that I wish he would just Hurry up. Am I by myself on that one? Oh, good. We won't have to talk about lying now. You're getting honest. Hurry up. Deliver us. Show us. David, when he wrote this psalm, was an emotional wreck. But God wasn't. And he wrote this as an emotional wreck with the firm knowledge that God was his foundation. Folks, when your foundation is the living God, it doesn't matter what life serves up to you. You can and will endure. You are overwhelmingly conquerors through Christ who loves you. Mm. David knew that his emotions were triumphed by his devotions. I need to say that again. His emotions were triumphed by his devotions. What you feel is trumped by who you know. You may feel hopeless, and you may feel desperate, but when you know the living God, you are not hopeless and you are not desperate because if God is for us, who could be against us? And you may feel out of control. And you may feel like there is no way out. But my God can make a way when there seems to be no way. He made a way through the dead, through the ocean, through the sea, a pathway that no one knew was there. And I have watched God deliver me and Tara and our children in ways we would never, ever, ever understand. We were back in Canada this week enjoying the richness of relationships that were forged in the desert of our desolation. Before we moved to Canada, I, I didn't even know where Canada was. I knew it was that white spot up above, the north, you know, above North Dakota. Barely knew where North Dakota was, Montana. I was reading a passage of Scripture out of Isaiah, and it said this, and you, almighty man, are going to wad you up into a ball and cast you into a far land, and there you will die. Be careful what you pray about, y'all. And I realized that God was gathering us up. And this time of desperation in Monatara's life, when literally we were losing everything, God was providing us everything. And he, he showed me his passage that said, I'm sending you to a place, a city, where you can call home. I'm sending you to a people that you could love. And we arrived in Canada, foreigners, uh, a strange people in a strange land, and found a good God with his good people. And we basked in that relationship while we were in Saskatchewan because we had several of those folks that gathered in around us gathered around us and you know what they all want to come to Texas do you know why because Texas is the place to be and God delivered us delivered us I want to get a little personal I think God has delivered Tara and I again to you to you I was traveling all over the United States and actually all over the world encouraging pastors. When I needed to be encouraged, I needed a people. And God gave you to me as a gift. And I am so grateful. And I was so excited that I get to preach at y'all today, aggravate you, stir you up. It just brings me great joy. And you are a gift to me. The Lord heard my cry and lifted me out because my emotions triumph by my devotions notice this I love this you know Hebrew is a language of word pictures when, when, you, when you read uh, the Old Testament and you read uh, passages translated out of Hebrew it always creates a vi- visual image and it says this and he steadied me as I walked along you know what this literally means It means he had his hands out. You ever helped a two-year-old walk or an 18-month-old walk or a nine-month-old walk and you steady them as they walk along? Steady them as they walk along? Uh, You know, we've got all these boardwalks out here. I mean, it's the the walk of death out there. (laughs) The older you get, the older the younger on the edge of eternity. And uh, Tara was walking our little ivy. We had a the hot dog party we had not long ago was awesome. And uh, if you guys missed that, you just missed it. Don't ever miss another one. And we, she was steadying her as she walked along because she knew that disaster was on either side of her, especially on that bridge back there. I mean, that's the, over the Valley of Gehenna. I mean, that's just over there. Steady. That's what, listen, listen to me, folks, listen. It's what God is doing for you right now. You are his beloved. You're literally the apple of his eye. You know what that means? That means when you look into God's eye, you see your own reflection. You're the apple of his eye. And he's steadying you as you walk along. I love that about the Lord. I love that he loves me so much that he knows that I'm a mess and he loves me even that, that he's going to Put his arms around me and literally in in this passage, he said, as I walk along and, and the word is in Hebrew is in root. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, the word is ruah, it, which really literally means, get this, get this. Ruah means the movement of God. He steadies me as I walk along in the movement of God because my life matters to God. My life matters to others. He steadies me as I walk along, as I'm in his root and as I'm in his ruah. That my life might be a reflection of his goodness and his glory and his grace. Why then should I complain when God has got me steady? Why should I become despondent and despaired when God has got me steady? Why should I wring my hands in desperation when God is my hope? Because I'm normal. And God guides me. If you hear nothing else today, Hear that, that you have a God who is your guide. And the steadying hands of God resulted in the praise of my mouth. Because when he guides me, many will see what he has done. He's given me a new song to sing. Dan tried to get y'all to sing a new song today. Y'all need to learn some new songs because give giving us a new song as we sing some old songs and new songs. You know, God loves all kinds of music. Did y'all know that? He even loves rap because <laughs> he loves rappers. Thought that was something to cover the candy bar, but it's some music. God loves that because he loves people. He gives us a new song. You see, the steady of God's hands results in the praise. Now listen, why do we praise God? Let me tell you why. <laughs> Because praise closes the loop between my heart and my head, my mouth. Why does God say, if you confess me with your mouth and believe in your heart, because it closes the loop between what you know and what you will? I say to Tara every time, Every morning, every day, every chance again, I love you. Why? Because I want her to know that my heart and my head and my mouth are in agreement with my love for her. I tell her kids that. I love you. I will tell you this. I love you. Because I want the praise of my mouth to show the evidence of the commitment of my heart and the knowledge of my mind. So when we sing together, it's a declaration. When we pray out loud, it's a declaration. When we get this, when we let every word that comes out of our mouths be for building up and not tearing down, it's a declaration. Church, I believe if we practice that one command of Scripture, let every word that comes out of your mouth be for building up and not tearing down, the world would beat a path to our door because they spend their life it being demeaned when they could spend their life; at being encouraged, and the church ought to be the center of encouragement, not the center of condemnation. Mm. Now I'm getting long-winded, so I better hurry up. God is the joy giver. David goes on to say this: "Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud, or who are those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have done many miracles." Uh, for uh, for us, your plans are too numerous to list. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to an end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Whoa, no, whoa, 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 whoa! I mean, that's what the Hebrews did, didn't they? They were all into the sacrifice stuff, and y- y'all realize that they sacrificed all the stuff to eat it. It was barbecue. Barbecue is biblical. Then I said, look, I come, I have come, and this is written about me in your scroll. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your law is written upon my heart, not in the external ritual of religion, but in the internal devotion of relationship. Religion is about ritual. Relationship is about salvation and brings worship Notice that the source of joy is God, not circumstances. I have stood at the grave of those of my love, with tears streaming down my face, with the joy of the knowledge of heaven, with the pinging sorrow of departure in my heart. Because joy is not interpreted by circumstances. Reminding yourself of God's faithful, faithfulness results in reframing reality. Not only his past plans have been perfect, perfected, but his future desires for you. And I need to say this to you. I'm just going to be really honest. Now that I'm your pastor, I can tell you the truth. God's cooking up a blessing for this church. He's got the pot on the stove, the butter's melted, and he's about to drop in a blessing. I don't want to miss it. Do you? I want to see God move in such a way in this valley that only he gets the glory, don't you? We cannot mess it up, but we can. How? With disunity. Disunity will derail the movement of God faster than anything else, and Satan loves to use disunity and discord and division, and he will use it to derail God's blessing. But I want to tell you something. Our God is greater than Satan. Would you agree with me? And I refuse to be used by Satan, so therefore, I'm going to maintain unity through the bond of peace. Will you? That's two of you. That's exciting. <laughs> Some of you say, well, we'll say. We'll just say, well, if I'm in agreement. Why don't we agree together that God is good and he is faithful and we're going to find his will together? Amen. And when we do that, we will see his blessing and we'll see him move in such a way that will shock us, that will shock us. And folks, as your pastor, I am not interested in building buildings. You hear me? I'm interested in building lives. And if we have to build buildings to build lives, then we'll build dadgum buildings. But I'd rather build people than buildings, wouldn't you? Yeah. All for Jesus. All right, now I've got off that soapbox. Let me get back on another soapbox. Reminding yourself of God's faithfulness reframes our reality. So it's about relationships. Notice that David said, I have come. It's kind of it's kind of like an idiomatic phrase. That it's almost out of place. Do you know what he's doing? He's saying, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm presenting myself to you. You're not delighting in sacrifices. You're delighting in me. I'm going to present myself a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, not a goat or a ram or a bull, but me. I've come. I'm giving myself to God. You know, our generosity back to God as we give is a symbol or a sign or an evidence of our obedience to God that he is, belongs, we belong to him. When I give, I don't give to this church, I give to Jesus. But Jesus is the senior pastor of this church and we are the mission of God together. Let me go on, I need to quit. God gives us something to brag about Listen to what David goes on to say. Is this helping y'all at all? I know I'm having fun. I don't know about y'all. I have told I have told all your people about your justice. And that's David in the desert, David in desperation. I've not been afraid to speak out, as you, O oh Lord, well know. I've not kept this good news hidden in my heart. I've talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. When you see the word tender mercies in the Old Testament, know that this is mercy without limit. Mercy without limit. Don't hold your tender mercies back from me. Mercy without limit. My only hope is in your unfailing love and faithfulness. For troubles surround me, too many to count. They pile up so high that I can't see my way out. They are more numerous to me than the hairs on my head. I've lost all my courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my troubles be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they have said, Ah, we got him now. Now, David is obviously having a hard time with his emotions, isn't he? He goes from this praise to this manic declaration of desperation Because David was in strife. The overflow of life learned in the desert is that the only hope we have is in the Lord. Now, David gets right to the point of this, and I think this is going to be on the screen for you, that desperation leads to dependence, and it will result in deliverance. Now, if there's ever a formula, you need to remember it's this one. When we become desperate, if we will become dependent on God, he will deliver you. He will deliver you. Now, the deliverance is according to his terms. One day, he's going to deliver me to heaven. And to quote the old spiritual, soon I'll be done with the troubles of this world. Going home to live with God. No more weeping and wailing. Going home to live with God. Because I am desperate for King Jesus, I become dependent upon King Jesus. And my King Jesus is my deliverer. Do you believe this? That we must live this. We must live this in the fullness of our knowledge Closing the loop between our heart and head. We need to declare this in public. David said, I've declared it in the assembly. I have put my hope in God. And if you put your hope in God, you will never be shaken. Even if they say, ah, I got you now. This is cool too. There again, Hebrew language of pictures. To be shaken literally means this. And all of you have done this. To pull up something by the roots and shake off the dirt off of it and throw it away. And what David said, when that happened, Hey, nobody ever going to pull me up, shake off my dirt off, and throw me away. That's literally what that means. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. The writer of Hebrews later says, and we are part of the unshakable kingdom of God. If the Lord delays... In 2,000 years from now, there may not be a United States. May not be. There may not be um, University of Texas. I know. <laughs> Heresy. Yeah. There may not be anything that we know of today, but there will be one thing, that's the church. Because the church will not be shaken. Because we belong to King Jesus, and we're part of the unshakable kingdom of God. And folks, when your hope is in the Lord, when you belong to Jesus, if there's been a time in your life that you've said to Jesus, I am yours, you will not be shaken. You might be uprooted, you might be stirred up a bit, but you will not be shaken because God will not allow the shaking of your life when His holy hand is guiding you along. Somebody said, well, I'm on shaky ground. You may be on shaky ground, but your God's got a hold of you and you will not be shaken. Turn to your neighbor right now, look him dead in the eye, and say, I will not be shaken. Close the loop. Say it again. I will not be shaken. Mm. The desert teaches us to see clearly. It teaches us to see clearly. May all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. Let's shout that together. The Lord is great. As for me, I am poor and needy. I love this. Oh, my soul in the middle of my desperation when I was crying out to God, literally as everything was going away from me, I read this passage. As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord is thinking about me right now. He's thinking about me right now. You are my helper, my savior, Do not delay, oh my God. God is our reality. He's not a figment of our imagination or concoction of our society or something that's been passed down to you from your parents or religion that you just kind of picked up. He is your reality. He is our reality. And the desert teaches us that. David says this, I love your salvation. I love it. The Lord is great. Some theologians believe that David didn't have a well-formed view of the afterlife when he wrote this. I think he did. I think David knew very well. You know, when David's little baby died, David said, I cannot bring that baby back to be with me, but I, one day I'll go and be with that baby. David knew that his Redeemer lived and that David would live forever with his Redeemer. Though he may die, he will not die to declare what the Lord has done. So when you die, we're going to throw dirt and make up good things to say about you. Some of y'all need to live a little longer so we have more material. But you're not dead. You'll be more alive than you've ever been. And the Lord is thinking about me right now. He's thinking about you right now. If the desert brings a clear understanding of God, if the desert is a place where the flocks roam, if the desert is a place where God speaks, let's go to the desert. Better to live in the desert with our God than the opulence of civilization without our God. In church, as we minister to people in the desert, let's remember that God is faithful. Let's remember that God is good. Let's remember where there's unity, the Spirit of God dwells. Let's remember that what we declare becomes reality to Wimberley. And how we live changes everything. (laughs) I'll go to the desert to be with Jesus.